On October 11th, 2018, the Packet Pushers will hold a virtual design clinic. This is a free event for you. Think of it like a mini conference where you get to hear from industry experts about cool things that they are working on, techniques that you can learn from and maybe apply to your environment, and maybe a sponsor with an interesting product to discuss. It's all free. No one's going to spam you. You have to opt in if you want to hear from anyone after the event. To participate, packetpushers.net slash VDC. Register for free. Do you take layer one for granted? You know, the wires in your enterprise. Well, let's think for a moment. How old is that cabling plant? Is it two years old? Five years? Ten or more years? Don't know and don't really want to know. As you bring new equipment online, you might need to care. Our guest today is Lee Badman, known largely for his wireless prowess, writing at wiredknot.wordpress.com. But our chat today is as much about wire as it is about wireless. Lee wrote a blog post talking through how, after a switch upgrade, some wireless access points weren't coming online. Warning, the story takes us to some very dark places, and listeners with weak hearts should be advised. So, Lee, welcome to Packet Pushers, and uh, hey, in a sentence or two, would you just tell us who you are? Hi, Ethan. Uh, thanks for having me. I am Lee Badman. I'm uh, currently job title is wireless network architect uh, for a big private university, but there's a lot of history behind that, um, you know, going back into the wired side and security and all kinds of stuff. So, but uh, currently wireless network architect. Got it. Well, well, let's walk through the story, uh, your blog post here. And as I had read through it, it all started with some Cisco Catalyst 3560s being replaced with 3650s, and and then things got a little ugly. Talk us through it. Sure, it's it's interesting. Um, I'm in a really uh, good environment as far as uh, general uh, layer one quality and documentation and the time that people put into it. I'm very fortunate in that regard. So when problems creep up, sometimes it's hard to bring yourself to even consider that the wire could be a problem. In this case, um, we have some old apartments. Uh, the apartments themselves go back, you know, decades and decades and decades. And, you know, over their life, they've had their wiring upgraded a couple of times and i'm sure the last incarnation has been at least eight to ten years uh, but at the same time you know we've had two generations of wireless access points on that wiring in the exact same locations uh, it, basically they're like concrete fortresses yeah. so so the buildings themselves we've even um you know, come to just kind of take for granted and not put a lot of thought into, which is the which is the background to get to where we're going with the switches. Well, so, so just to speak to what those cabling plants uh, are, you know, so some older concrete buildings and cabling that's been around for a long time. And you, as you said, generally in your environment of good quality, well-documented, you kind of know what's going on. So in these wiring plants specifically, are we talking about Cat 5, Cat 5E? Do you have a, do you know how old they were? Uh, yeah, these are going to be Cat 5e uh, generally, and then if anything has been added in the last year or two, uh, it's going to be probably 6a. But by and large, we're talking mostly 5e in, in these buildings. Meaning not as tolerant of falling out of spec as maybe Cat 6 or up would be uh, of still being able to carry a gigabit per second reliably. Yeah, that's an excellent way of uh, putting it. Yep. Okay. All right, so you're in the middle of a project. You're replacing 3560s with these 3650s. As you said in the blog post, curse you, Cisco, for your ever-so-close model numbers. 
Oh, that's insane. That's a whole other thing. Between switches and APs, the fascination with 3.5. I mean, there's a fetish there that I wish somebody would explain. But anyhow, um, yeah, so we've got 125 of these buildings. Each building, again, they're apartments, and they're like an 8-plex or a 12-plex at most. So, you know, single switch, fiber off to the core somewhere. And our techs are rolling through these buildings, doing, you know, switch upgrades, life cycle upgrades. And <laughs> there's always more to the story. At the same time, we had a massive power hit that caused some problems. We had something else going on with the code issue on a few switches. So, so we've got all this stuff to sort through. And we get to the end of it, and we get to these couple of buildings where the 36, or I'm sorry, 3560s were replaced with the 3650s. And suddenly, in a handful of them, an AP or two per building would not come up. And, you know, we're scratching our heads trying to figure out you know, what this could be. And my first thought, being a longtime Cisco wireless customer, uh, code issue. Okay, we've just found our, our next of many wireless code bugs. You know, my mind didn't even let me go to the wire. Hmm. And, you know, and I've got a long history in, in everything from layer one up to layer seven. And I'm usually very cognizant of the wire as a possibility. And I skipped right past it again, just now, because we're on. You no, know, you're saying not come up. I mean, just for clarity here, these are POE switches feeding power to the APs? Absolutely. Okay. So these are PoE switches, operating voltage, and and the you know data link is coming from the switch to the AP, and you know they're toasters. They're doing nothing. Um, they're not even you know trying. There's no flicker of a light, and then they peter out. There's no port disable. Uh, there is just a rock at the end of a string in this case for the handful of them that that wouldn't behave. That's one about okay. I'm adding that metaphor to my my lexicon. A rock on the end of a string. That's that's awesome. So Unity, are you even getting like log messages saying, "Hey, some device, this some rock on the end of the string attempted to request power." I mean, are you even getting that much? No, no. And that was part of the mystery. It's like uh, how do how do you plug something in that's an active component? You know, so our, and again, we're thinking, okay, dead out of box APs. That's how unresponsive they are. So as a sanity check, we're plugging them into the old switches and they come right back up. So it's like, okay, so is it bad switch ports on the new AP? Is it some wireless code thing? Um, yeah, it's kind of kind of odd. Now we're because it is a new switch, we're starting to think, okay, is there some kind of PoE feature that we missed? Is there some setting that you know, even though we know these switches fairly well, is there something that uh, is obvious that we missed or just something that something obviously wasn't clicking that <laughs> we were for whatever reason, have a hard, having a hard time, um, you know, coming up with it. And you've probably been there. Desperation kicks in, you know, we usually use CDP. So I, I enabled LLDP and let's see if that makes any difference. And, and it really didn't. And, well, yeah. You, know, you start, right. You start throwing things out. That's like, okay, this doesn't even make sense, but I'm going to try this because it's something I can try and let's see what happens. Exactly. And I'm the engineer and the tech is looking to me to, to solve it. And I'm feeling stupid in that regard somewhat. And, you know, it's just an AP, a switch and a piece of cable. It shouldn't be that hard. Uh, but in this case, it, it was at least for, you know, a couple of hours. So we, till we kind of freed our minds and looked a little deeper at the cable. And then, you know, as the, the technician, Brian, 
as Brian was, you know, trying to, you know, do the desperation dance on his end, I, I went off to Google and I, I'm getting ready to do a tack case. But before I do the tack case, it's like, let's do a sanity check out on the internet because very few things that you experience, you know, other people have not, you know what I mean? Nothing, nothing's new under the network sun. So I go off to Google and, um, you know, lo and behold, it didn't take very far to come up to that document that I referenced in the blog. And even though it wasn't our exact problem, because they were talking about a very specific error, the fact that the POE subsystem had changed between the two switches and they called out, you know, it's whatever the wording is, it's more sensitive or um, whatever, you know, in the beginning it says, ah, new POE subsystem. And then at the very end, and check your cable. It's like, okay, uh, we've got some cable testing to do here. And, you know, that pretty much got us right to the problem. But what was weird about it, whether it was four or five buildings, it was one cable per building. And then, um, you know, like 80% of them, it was on the same switch port. So, you know, call it port 23. So now you're thinking, oh, the switches are defective on it's, port 23. You know what a, I mean? There's an ASIC you're, manufacturing problem or something. Exactly. Right? You're, you're trying to be analytical about everything. And, and, you know, you still want every theory to prove itself out. But you look at the data, it's like, oh, this can't be that coincidental. There has to be something to it. But that part of it ended up just being that coincidental. Yeah, we break out the good cable tester, not just the one that says you've got, you know, eight pins going, you know, from end to end, but this is going to actually pass gig or pass 100 meg oh. or whatever. The, the the DSX, the true, you know, Fluke Network's very expensive cable tester. Yeah. That, well, let's that park helps. on that for a second, because, yeah, a lot sure. of us have these little handy dandy cable testers that all they really do is test for continuity between the cable pairs. And you've got a loopback adapter you shove into one end and the cable tester on the other, and it basically tells you, yeah, you've got all eight. Uh, all eight are, are pinned and they're connected, but it doesn't tell you anything about the quality, just that you've got continuity and that's it. As opposed to, as you just said, the, the, the really expensive, the Fluke, or there's been a few other ones over the years, but Fluke's certainly the name everybody recognizes, that not just tests continuity, but validates this is a certified length of cable, and between the, you know my two endpoints... I am uh, certifying that this cable is at whatever level. It's good for you know Cat three, it's Cat five, it's uh, it's Cat six, and it uh, runs signal across there at specific megahertz rates, determining and proving to you that this is what you think it is. Yeah, exactly. And we're all used to like you know network testing with iperf and stuff. You know that's the you know one of the highly regarded ways of testing network performance. These really really good cable testers. They kind of do a signaling version of iPerf. They do performance testing at the electrical, you know, characteristics level on the cable. And, you know, they're, in my opinion, they're a piece of, you know, almost lab-grade test equipment. So they get broken out when you really have to know what's going on with the cable. There's nothing wrong with the continuity testers. You know, they, they're very convenient and small and easy to carry and easy to afford. So, you know, we all tend to have one in our bag of tricks and all of that. And then if you can combine, you know, yes, I have eight pins with a little bit of visual knowledge. You do a quick inspection and the cable just looks like it was terminated good. And there's no pins bent and all of that. Um, 
usually that takes you a long way if you know what you're looking at. But in this case, everything looked okay, but it really wasn't. And the testing revealed that. And, you know, these jacks take a beating. Um, that, a I was just going to ask you that. So, so, okay. So by length of cable, some people might be imagining just a single cable. What we're actually talking about is installed in-wall cable that's got, I'm assuming, a, a, a jack in the wall or a jack in the ceiling, depending on how the AP is mounted on the one side. And then on the other side, it t- terminating in a some kind of a central, like an IDF central location. And then there's another patch cable that plugs it from there into the switch. Yeah, exactly. So if you start at the IDF, in this case, in these apartments, the running temperature in the summertime is probably about 3,000 degrees, no matter how <laughs> they try to vent them. And then the summertime, it cools down to about, you know, 250 degrees. <laughs> the closets are brutal. Um, you know, and then you get into the apartments and some of the cabling is where you would want it to be when you think of really good AP installs. Some of it is, you know, on the wall and making the best of the pathway that was available uh, at the time the APs got put in. And that's a mixed bag of just living in reality. And the ones that are um, perhaps more vulnerable, they get, you know, furniture hits them when kids are moving stuff around and who who knows what else is happening uh, to them or around them. And, you know, over time, they, they get whacked. And a lot of times the, da- the damage isn't obvious or somebody else is in there working on the cable TV. So they have to take apart our faceplate and maybe something happens behind it that your once good certified cable has been disturbed and you don't know anything about it. If, if you think about all the history that could go on in the vicinity of some of these cables. Yeah, so the, the, the faceplate having not just Ethernet termination, but also cable TV or, or, or something else sitting there as well. Exactly. Abandoned voice cables because we don't use voice anymore, but the cables are still there and, but they have been used. You know what I mean? The, over the life of the cable, they were used and now they're not. So who knows what happened, you know, three, four five years ago that the old switches could tolerate, but the new ones could not with this, you know, um, precision POE subsystem, whatever the heck they, they upgraded it to. But it, it's one of those deals where, when you're working up to the solution, it's a big fat mystery. And then once you conquer it, it's like, geez, you know, we should have looked right at that. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, so to speak to that, as I was digging through um, that clip that you found that, that Google turned up for you, it made it sound like the POE, the new POE controller in the 3650 was so sensitive that the, the AP has its power budget. And if the cable's not in great shape, it's may result in, in requiring surplus power budget. And it's so sensitive uh, on the PUE controller end that if between the budget requested by the AP and the budget needed by the crappy cable, it's going to ask for more than the, the more sensitive PUE controller is willing to give it. And so it gets nothing. Uh, there's, there's that as a possibility, but what I, the conclusion I kind of came to, and I could be dead wrong. Um, the thing that goes on at the millivolt is the CDP signature, you know, the AP sends something down the line, the switch is, switch acknowledges it. It felt to me like that signature at the millivolt level before any of the POE negotiation and all of that could ever happen just wasn't getting there. It was dying along the way. These, you know, little tiny, low power, electrical, precise, uh, it's, I think they call it a de- 
a detection signature or something is the i used to know this back in my uh, cabling days i used to do a lot of cabling and i was very in tune with with some of what i'm um, fumbling with now but i'm pretty sure it's like a detection signature and that's where you know depending on the millivolts and how it gets read that's where it determines the class of the power device and and all of that but i think that signature detection signature um if that's the right phrase I don't think it was making their period, making it their period. I think the cabling, um, because of however they sent it, maybe it was low power, maybe it was a lot more um, susceptible to, um, you know, distortion or whatever. I just don't think it was getting there. Well, that, and the switch, and maybe the switch is just saying, eh, okay, a little blip of noise. I don't know what the hell that was, but I'm not responding sense. to that. I mean, you know, w- because you weren't seeing on the switch any log errors. I mean, uh, when a switch gets a PoE request and denies it, there's a log, there's a syslog message there that corresponds to that. And you said you weren't seeing that, so that makes sense that the initial signaling um via cdp wasn't even making it down the wire from one end to the other so yeah i like uh, i like that answer it's interesting but at the same time you probably could have put a standard um you know analog telephone on it and it would have worked all day long hmm. so you know it's, it's it's a very very strange situation Okay, so the solution ended up being what then? You did all this digging. You uh, you went with the cable tester. Oh, okay. So 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 back to the fluke then. The the fluke cable tester must have revealed to you, hey, this link is crap. Yeah, Brian again, the technician said, uh, "Yep, your theory is right." And what I said to him is, you know, please humor me. Test all of these cables. If they're good, then I'm going to open up a tack case. But tack is going to ask me, "Did you test the cables?" And I want to be up front, I want to make sure we didn't overlook anything. And yeah, I think he kind of gave me the, you know, raised eyebrows over the phone. Yeah, sure. I'll go do that. And <laughs> uh, he went and he did it and he said, yep, your theory was right. And each one of these is defective in some way. And I didn't get the details of, of what, um, but they, he said they weren't passing gig and they, you know, they were worth re-terminating. So each one, he, Reterminated at both ends, made sure they were pretty with, you know, pretty on the patch panel and a uh, new jack at the field end. And he certified each one of them to gig, plugged in the APs that were acting up onto the same exact ports. And off they went and they haven't dropped off since. <laughs> I just, I, I love this story. Um, it just reminds me that getting budget for the fancy cable testers, this is one of those situations where it may have paid for itself. You know, I don't know what the next steps are. I mean, you if let's say you don't have a fluke, you can test for continuity and maybe you've got that, but you don't have the fancy cable tester. Do you go to TAC and then, you know, then what happens? Do you have to bring in a consultant? Do you have to, you know, what do you do next to try to get the problem resolved? You probably mess around with... Uh, Tackle finally go, oh, well, we don't know what's wrong. We're just going to send you a new switch. And then you pop it in and it doesn't fix the problem. And then where do you go? It's it's a whole lot of time and so on. But it can still be difficult. Even though the fluke was the answer to get you the, the details you needed, getting the budget for one of those things is hard. I don't know what they cost anymore. It used to be single-digit thousands for a lower-end fancy one and to up to kind of as much as you want to spend? I, I don't know if you've had one of those on your, your budget roster recently. Uh, th- those uh, fellows that buy that, thankfully, we've got people that have the wisdom to spend the money where it needs to. So we've got good fiber uh, testers. We've got good cabling testers. I haven't had to buy them since the days of 
uh, I think 5e was where, you know, I, I kind of moved out of that realm and into mm -hmm. the one I'm in now. So I don't, I don't buy them anymore, but thankfully the, the gents and ladies that, you know, are in that world have the, have the wisdom, uh, you know, to make sure the dollars get spent where they need to be. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, so, so related questions here, since I've got, uh, since I've got you, have you, uh, also in, you, as a wireless architect, you, you could compare a fluke wire tester to, um, a special kind of a wireless tester that you would use to see what's going on in the, in the airwaves, you know, what, what, not just to see what SSIDs are broadcasting, but actually, uh, like a spectrum analyzer. Is that something you've, uh, also spent and as part of your arsenal? Oh yeah. Yeah. We've got, um, no, not. There's so many cool tools out there. There's always something else that you would like to get, uh, but we absolutely have. Uh, <laughs> funny, I'm looking down. You mentioned Spectrum Analyzer. I'm looking at a. a we had a voice, you know, cell phone uh, survey project for all of our classrooms years ago, and I'm looking at the genuine lab quality, you know, portable Spectrum Analyzer that we bought for that project. And we had a couple of students wandering all the classrooms measuring cell signals. But you know, even though it's not really used much today, I dusted it off just to make sure the battery was good. But so, I mean, we, we spend where we need to for Wi-Fi, you know, take the cell thing aside. We've got, you know, brand name stuff. We just retired one of our air magnet um, analyzer tools. We've got the uh, Echohow and Sidekick with the Spectrum Analyzer for you know both design and support. We've got a handful of MetaGeek uh, tools in house. It's a pretty mixed bag, and um, you know, just yesterday, matter of fact, I sent forward some part numbers to the folks downstairs so that their techs could refresh their site survey kit. So, you know, it's like anything, any craft, if you're going to do it, you have to have the right tools and the right knowledge to mm -hmm. go with the tools. And, you know, every now and then, you know, things do evolve and 802.11n, you know, tools for 11n won't really cut it in an 11ac world. So, you know, you have to got to spend the money. So in what environment do you think you've got to have those fancy testers? I've worked in shops with uh, with and without. I've always been happier with because I used to do cabling back in the day. That was that was like one of my major jobs. Cable and crimpers and off I'd go and I'd do that. So where do you think you need to have those tools in your arsenal versus, eh, you can get by without them or bring in your consultant buddy who, you know, is going to get paid a certain hourly wage and, and it's more efficient to do it that way? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, for what it's worth, I was also with you in that common background. I have run a lot of cable in my life. And that's kind of how I started off in, in networking when I got out of the Air Force and had to change career fields. And, you know, like the OSI model, you learn from layer one on up. And I did the same thing. But um, certainly if you're doing cabling for a living, and there are companies that do just that, they run a lot of cable. And Boy, those guys are artists when they go to dress out a rack or whatever, guys and gals. Oh, man, I've got um, some pictures. Yeah, just yeah, it's incredible. Artists, the way they, they, they tie down everything perfectly and uh, make yeah. these uh, beautifully spun uh, um, punch downs that are all feathered to the exact right lengths and with no stress on the cables, all the stress has been tied off. The, the, those folks that know what they're doing are, uh, as you say, artists. They really are good at what their jobs Yes, and they're probably very well-tooled, and at the end of their jobs, they're giving certification reports that we all throw in a bottom drawer and never look at again. But, 
you know, it's part of the job is, you know, they're standing behind each and every cable run and it's all been certified and it's baselined. If you ever do have to go back and, and look at one again, and you can remember where the report went and all of that. But, you know, so those guys are certainly spending the money and doing it the right way. You know, then, you know, like I have my own um, small business on the side. Uh, when I go off to my customers, I don't have all those tools. So I'm doing a lot of, the, <laughs> I'm doing a lot of the, you know, eight wire uh, continuity tester type stuff. And at the same time, I can draw from my background, knowing how to punch down a cable properly and know that my skill and a little bit of uh, verification is better than, you know, not having the expensive tools and not knowing what the heck I'm doing. So usually I get it right. And then if I plug in a cable and I go and I look at the interface of like an access point and it only comes up at a hundred meg, uh, you know, I can apply some knowledge and say, now that should be coming up a gig. I probably better re-terminate that cable, even though I didn't verify it with a tester. I can verify it with, you know, function functional testing, if you will. I, I completely agree with you. So I've done a bunch of wiring in my house. I have a, a multi-floor house. I've had to run cable between floors up into the space up over the top floor and then back down into certain rooms. And I had some spare cable that I inherited from some project or another. It was some old Cat 5e Pretty thin, you know, not a lot of twists per pair. That's why it's Cat 5e and not Cat 6. I pulled it in, and along the way, I got a kink, and I'm like, uh, uh-oh. And just the way it was, I couldn't get at it and undo the kink and uh, hoped it would be fine. It was not fine. I could not get gig across that line. I had continuity, but, you know, it was just it was just cheap line, and eh, it is what it is. So of the three cables I pulled into this room with just cobbling together a bunch of spare cable I had from projects... Uh, two of three were good, and uh, you know that third one was was no good to me. Even it wasn't a termination problem; it was that kink in the wire, and I just knew from experience that was one of those things that's going to cause that wire to fail. So one of these days, I'm going to you know pull it back through. But uh, but but as you say, you know, looking at the end of an RJ45, you can look in there and you can see you did or did not get a good crimp from the pins down into the wires and you've got good contact all the way through. There's a visual inspection, you know, instinctively you just made a good crimp or, or you didn't. Um, the number of twists of the cable that you punch down to the back of the jack. Did you do, did you undo twists? Did you go too many twists undone before you punched it down? And so you're, you're kind of giving up twists before you punch it down. Sometimes that can make a difference. And like you oh, said, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And the higher, higher bandwidth you're pushing, the more that stuff becomes important, you know, the quality of the cable and the, the technique, if you will, and, and all of that. And even when you do it, you know, what feels perfect to somebody who's done it a thousand times, you go and you close the hinged patch cable and every now and then a conductor pulls halfway out. And then two weeks <laughs> later, you know, somebody bumps it in the back and, you know, it kind of works its way out the rest of the way. So, so things do happen. It's not a, a lot of the connections are, you know, what you can call a mechanical splice or, or, a you know, whatever, a, a pinch, two pieces of metal are pinching another. Mm. And, and all of that ends up being not, you know, that's not, so, we're not soldering them as we go. You know what I mean? They're not welded together. So it's not all that surprising that sometimes the physical stuff works its way loose or something gets warped from heat or temperature or whatever. And, Oh, man, you're talking about Saudi. You reminded me of some of the horrible cable plant installations I ran into. One of the first Ethernet networks I ever worked on was a 10 meg network. This goes back to the mid-90s. 
And it had been created via punch down to 110 block was how all the uh, the jacks were done. So the main wiring closet was an old phone installation of 110 and uh, punched down that way. That got real interesting, uh, especially when the, the phone guy would go in the closet and try to tone out a wire. He'd put tone on the Ethernet. That, was, that got exciting. Why did everybody <laughs> drop off the network? What just happened? So it was really neat. <laughs> uh, crazy. Well, I'll tell you, we just had a um... – this was a, a quicker story. Well, the situation just came to an end with an email from Cisco. But over the holidays, we've got four 10 gig connections into our one into our wireless controllers, and we had a problem that was equally goofy, and it ended up being in a twin axe cable between the controller and the big Nexus switch, and it took a couple of days and lots of involvement with TAC. Lots of looking at switch ports on the Nexus and on the controller. Finally, we ended up having a Twin-X problem. The so, Twin-X had, had to get sent off to Cisco. Uh, it took them eight months to give us an answer. But on this particular Twin-X, when it acts up, and this is the ones that have the GBIC built in. Yeah, the it, it's a copper cable, but right, it's, it's pre-terminated with GBICs, and you slide it into the, uh, the slot on either end. Exactly. Yeah. And when they malfunction, there are no error counters. There are the, the TAC case kind of went something like this when we escalated it. Well, yeah, I agree with you guys. It doesn't seem like anything is wrong on the switch. You've looked at everything you can look at that's obvious. Now, me being a TAC guru, let me show you the stuff that I look at that you can't. And then he showed me that. All of this looks good. Now, let me tell you some reality you're probably not going to like. There are things that go on with these switches that none of us can see. And it turns out the GBIC was one of them. The GBIC, eight months later, we found out that this little, you know, active component at the end of the twin X cable that you plug into the port had a memory failure. And that's what was causing our problem. In the diagnosis of that problem, Cisco overnighted us a new 8540 controller. They couldn't even figure out what was going on. Because of this little, you know, hmm. cheese, cheese ball cable with the twin X at the end of it. <laughs> now, you said it was one of the active twin X cables because there's the passive and the active, if I remember right. And the active ones were, um, there's enough, some electronics in it to, I don't know if it's for signal amplification or what the exact purpose is, but uh, but it tends to be on the end of the longer cables. Uh, well, maybe this is passive. I've got its replacement in my hand. It is a... SFP 10 gig, three meter cable. So whether it's considered cer certainly gets active when you pass signal across <laughs> it, if it's got memory <laughs> in sure. it, but I mean, it doesn't have any, any juice as it sits there idle. So I don't know how you would properly classify it, but I do know that the problem that it caused was really confusing to not only, you know, the, the good minds on my end, on people I work with, but also it kind of threw Cisco for a loop. A classic gray failure problem. It sort of works, but we can't figure out exactly why it, what's not happening. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of those things where you look at it, it's like, is that a cable problem? Well, it is because the cable is an assembly and it's one more thing that you can look at and say, how can that be bad? It's brand new. It's right out of the, you know, out of the, the shiny silver staticky bag or anti-static bag, and we just plugged it in. How can that be bad? And if you're not cognizant of the fact that it's got these little weird, you know, electronics on the end of it, it's, we all, 
went down the rabbit hole together, us and Cisco, not <laughs> not wanting to believe that this cable could be the problem. That, that is the most depressing answer to get back from TAC, where they go, hmm, I have no idea. This is interesting. Maybe we need to escalate this to our developers or to, or to whoever. And you go, oh, no, this is going to go on for weeks. Let me hand you to a different BU. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and your heart just sinks going, I'm going to be playing email tag on this thing forever. This is terrible. Yeah. Yep. Well, Lee, this doesn't need to be a long show. This was fun. I thought this was a great story. Um, your blog post just inspired me and brought up all these um, uh, memories. And just my, my engineer nerd propeller hat went off going, yes, stories like this need to be told. Just uh, So thank you for blogging that. And, and again, your, uh, your blog is, is what, Lee? Uh, my personal blog is wirednot.wordpress.com. I'm also pretty busy on... IT toolbox these days. I still do a little bit with network computing when they ask me to. I've had a couple in the last couple of months. Uh, search networking is another outlet where you can find me. Um, I end up being all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, next week, I'll be at Mobility Field Day 3, if this hasn't aired by then. I'm looking forward to that. One of the Tech Field Day events that the true privilege to attend. I know you've done some of that yourself. And then I do the uh, daily Wi-Fi queue on Twitter for anybody who wants to talk wireless and just see what other people are thinking. So, unfortunately, I've I've kind of infested the internet like a like a disease. <laughs> yeah, the, the Wi-Fi queue series is interesting. If you're a, if you're a Twitter person, just search for that hashtag hashtag uh, Wi-Fi queue W I F I Q and it, it, you do that every day where you ask that the question and just you know collate all the responses. I do it every working day, except for major holidays. And if I'm traveling or whatever, I I kind of queue them up. And if I don't do, if I miss a day, which I've only missed a couple days in the last few years, I'll actually get people private messaging me like, are you okay today? Are you not feeling good? It's like, so that I know that there's people that get up and look for it in the morning. So that's kind of nice that there's that sort of following, but it's really good dialogue. And um, anybody is welcome to participate or if anybody has a question that they want thrown out front and center in that, uh, you know, venue or format, whatever you want to call it, I'm happy to pass their question on and, and get it out in front of people to be talked about too. That, that happens probably 30% of what I ask comes from other people. So, um, very open to that as well. So on Twitter, your handle is at wired not, uh, is yeah. that the best way for people to get a hold of you? Is there some other way you'd uh, recommend people, uh, yammer at you. Uh, that's absolutely the best way. If you are a Twitter person, if you're not a Twitter person and you go to my, uh, wired, not, uh, dot wordpress.com blog, you can get me through that as well. Okay. And the title of the article that started this recording was another example of how important wire is to wireless. That is on Lee's blog there. Lee, thank you for being on the show today. And uh, for you listening, you can find the show notes for this episode in your podcatcher. If you visit packetpushers.net, you can discover over 1,000 other episodes from across our podcast network where we talk about all sorts of nerdy things for networking people and infrastructure people more broadly. Uh, tweet at packetpushers. Uh, you can follow us on LinkedIn. We're there. Rate us on Apple Podcasts. We would appreciate that. And if you would like to support Packet Pushers and what we do here, you can become a premium member at ignition.packetpushers.net. Not only will you be supporting 
supporting us, you will also get access to exclusive premium content. And I'm saying that like overdramatic, exclusive premium content, but it's true. You, you, there are things that we won't publish anywhere else that's just for our premium members, again, at ignition.packetpushers.net. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.